Return of Movies and Tea. I'm Elwood. I'm Kim. And tonight we're going to be discussing the directorial debut of uh, Alice Waddington as we look at 2019's Paradise Hills, a pastel goth sci-fi fantasy thriller in which a young girl, Uma, wakes up to find she's trapped on a strange island called Paradise where she's told that she's been booked into a treatment centre of sorts, but... Is everything what it seems? Certainly we'll find out tonight as we look at this film. As I said, this is the directorial debut of Alice Waddington. And it also features a script by uh, Nacho v- uh, Vigalondo, who is probably best known for time crimes, but also did um, films such as Colossal, Puka, ABC's of Death, Open Windows and VHS Viral amongst his uh, credits. And uh, Kim, this was a film you'd seen before. This is a first time watching myself. Um, what are uh, your sort of initial thoughts on uh, on Paradise Hills? Well, I mean, I really like Paradise Hills. And I think it was like, I was super like um, excited about it when I first finished wa- when I first finished seeing it at Fantasia Film Festival. And I was like telling you about how great it was and how awesome and it's the whole world of Paradise Hills that really, you know, is really so captivating. And, uh, I mean, we're going to discuss more of it later, obviously. But I think that there's a lot of elements here that works pretty well. And at the same time, for a debut effort, it, it's done, you know, there's a lot of style to it. Definitely so. Um, as we said already, this is a pastel goth uh, feature and for those slightly confused by the term it seems to be a new upcoming genre that's really come out of nowhere really and perhaps in many ways the sort of bastard offspring of the gothic loita genre or subculture of uh, goth culture should we say um, here the dark and gloom of uh, castles are replaced with a more lighter and obviously pastel colour palette as well as Moving the whole concept from the gothic castles to, should we say, the dollhouse, as uh, certainly the girls featured in this film are portrayed and shown more as being living dolls than um, anything than we're sort of used to in the sort of more traditional gothic sense. Um, this is, uh, as I said, this is a film visually. It's just absolutely fascinating when I saw the trailers and that was kind of what made me want to pick it for my own pick uh, here in the After Hours sort of portion of our our season and I mean this is a film that was also made incredibly cheap I mean it was only made for a mere 10 million dollars which when you compare it to what everyone else is making their films for it certainly quite makes it only the more astounding and it does actually look quite stunning in places Um, certainly Watterson's sort of background in photography really comes into effect here and she's creates a world that's feels very immersive on the surface and it's only sort of backed up by the rather great cast that she's assembled here, which includes Orkafina, Melina Jovanich and uh Jimmy Ivan as well as Danielle MacDonald. Um all of this headed Emma up Roberts, by maybe. <laughs> I was just Roberts about like... just building up to Emma Roberts, as I said, uh, all this headed up by Emma Roberts who uh, as I said who plays Uma and uh, gets to sport a nice uh, pastel pink bob for most of the film. Um, so, in terms of the cast, I mean, how did you find this this cast here? Because obviously, Orkafina's currently on the rise, and Emma Roberts, despite her aunt being Julia Roberts, is 
never quite hit it off in the same way that her, her aunt did. She certainly had numerous appearances in things such as like Weather Miller. She was in American Horror Story. Um, and she was also in Screen Queens as well. All good. Yes. Um, so, yeah, how did you find the, the cast there? You know, I, th- I feel like Emma Roberts is very underrated. She's always in these very indie films. And a lot of her films are... A lot of times, very similar in nature, in like the style of movie that it's in. You know, they're they're in some kind of you know like, I remember watching her in Art of Getting By, and then there's something else that that you know that she's in that she's constantly in this kind of same type of movie. And I think something that's more action would probably be like Nerve, maybe that was in something a little bit bigger that she was in. But you know, like that's the thing is, she. Emma Roberts is, is, for me, I find she's a pretty good actress. And it's one that I, I really like to check out her movies. And I think that was one of the main reasons, other than, you know, obviously Mila Jovovich, which I obviously like because of of just, you know, I think she's she's interesting. I mean, to see her outside of her Alice roles, particularly, makes it feel very good to see, like, what else she has to offer. And I think, you know, Duchess is probably one of my favorite roles that she's done so far. Yeah. Um, just because just because of, you know, it's not her specifically, but also, like, that role itself is, you know, so, I don't know, manipulative, maybe. I don't know how you say that word. I, it's, like, at the tip of my tongue. I don't know how to say it. Manipulative. Like, huh? Manipulative? Manipulative, yeah. That that's 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 one one way to say it. Okay. I, I feel like there's another word for it, but I can't really quite get get there. Um, but either way, I mean, like, because the other ones here, like Aquafina, I've seen her before in um, Ocean's Eight, and I really liked her there. I think that was one of the better roles I've seen her in. And obviously, I like her in this one. Um, I think you know her whole character design is pretty nice, um, especially like the appearance part with like her her spiky headphones and stuff like that. <laughs> um, it's pretty cool. And then you know, but then I mean, I really like Danielle McDonald also. But then at the same time, I haven't really watched her other movie, which uh, was a pretty big hit, but I've never got around to watching it. Patty Cakes. So, you know, like, Danielle McDonald, I don't really know too much about because, like, I haven't seen, um, I really like her role here because she kind of got, offers that kind of bit of a difference because all of them, you know, all the characters they design here is, has their own issues. Like, they're so, their own societal issues. That's why they're in this kind of, like, reform school. And, you know, for Danielle McDonald, I mean, I've never seen her previous movie was uh, Patty Cakes, I think, that really, you know, kind of set her on the map a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm, you know, I really liked her also. I, I mean, it'll be interesting to see her in other roles in this, obviously, because, you know, to be fair, this movie was pretty much through the eyes. It was like a, it wasn't a first person perspective, but it, we were following the character of Emma Roberts as Uma the entire time. Yeah, I mean, certainly with, uh, with Emma Roberts' character, she is is essentially the the main focus here. We do obviously get uh, hints of the other girls uh, girls here, and certainly when it comes to these other girls, I mean, certainly um, Chloe and you, played by uh, Danielle McDonald and Aquafina, respectively, are certainly the most fleshed out of the characters. Everyone else felt like they were just kind of there, 
a sort of like background mm. dressing. Um, obviously, with the Duchess, him, as you said, already being played by Mila Jovanich, she's probably one of the strongest elements of the film, and it's kind of nice mm-hmm. to see her doing a film which isn't directed by her husband. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's hard to shift the. There's so many elements of the Alice sort of character that she carries across here. Um, there was some moments where I felt that I was like watching Alice in a prettier dress. And well, I mean, I'd argue like, I mean, I'm pretty good. I'm really well versed in the whole Alice thing because I really like the character. <laughs> and to be fair, the Duchess has a lot more lines to say. You know, like there's a lot more dialogue because she's more like, you know, she's more like, you know, trying to listen to these girls and make them talk to her. And, you know, she's she plays kind of like this, uh, this kind of like mother headmistress type of role where she's there to listen to you she pay she plays a she tries it's like her cover is to be compassionate but in reality you know when things turn around she obviously isn't because you know there's a lot more secrets to her character yeah certainly so and i think hmm it's i like the way that her characters have developed i mean on Literally, she's sort of introduced as this sort of headmistress-style character who's going to be there to mentor the girls and to help them correct the faults which have led them to be put on the island. Because we get the general opinion that all of them have been sent to the island because they're not meeting their various families' family statuses. Um, and certainly this is a world where you're either an upper or a lower. And these girls are all belong to uh, families of uppers so they're all coming from privilege and we obviously when we look at uh, for example we look at Chloe her family wanted to be you know slim and like her sisters so supermodel pretty uh, you is needing to have her common roots sort of straightened out because uh, she's been staying with her aunt and uncle and she's not quite fitting in with that upper crowd and Uma is um kind of like a gone rogue on her on her mother because her family's essentially gone bankrupt so she's being married off so that they can maintain that upper status uh but at the same time she's being forced into marrying a what who a man who she describes as a complete sociopath um and who in the few sort of uh, snippets of footage we see of him is pretty damn creepy it has to be said <laughs> creepy and cringy <laughs> Um, but then again, I I don't know if it's because I watch so much bad reality TV that that so much so much of the cringiness just sort of washed over me. Uh, when he was like talking about being a sensitive guy, and it's like <laughs> I think that's just every I sing- repeat. I know it's just uh, you watch enough X on the beach and uh, and whatnot, and you, it just suddenly starts washing over you. <laughs> Well, you know, you kind of acknowledge it, and then you kind of laugh through it, and then that's it. You know, like, <laughs> I have to say though that when they they decide to give her like a the bit of rough uh, love interest as her her secret boyfriend stumbles onto the island, Marcus here played by Jamie Oven, and I was like, why are we putting this in? This does not need to be in here at all. And ultimately, it proves to be a character that adds nothing to the film whatsoever. Uh, other than just an excuse to well, work some I mean, pretty the, boy in there. 
Well, it's really it's really to to make that you know big big escape plan come into play right at the end and and kind of see like the reaches of you know obviously the Duchess and the school and and the Paradise Hills school that they're on right that they're in I guess um, but yeah I mean it's. The character itself is very disposable, but the purpose of it being there was kind of uh, one of the most um, contrived, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it just felt that if you put him on there just for the whole escape plan, we've already established an escape plan with um, Armania, one of the other girls on the on the island. And it's all like, well, we've already got an escape plan put in place. Well, you were just <laughs> excess to, uh, to purpose here, so... It did, and it just like just made me just like, every time he was on screen, he has like no chemistry whatsoever with Emma Roberts's character, and it just felt like just there. You're padding this out. You're either padding this out, or you just put him in there because you know that young girls are going to see some pretty young thing. <laughs> Is he a pretty young thing? I don't know. I don't <laughs> know. I'm not a teenage girl, am I? I'm just some. I'm just some mean. I happen to not be a teenage girl either, so. I'm just some mean-spirited middle-aged guy over here trying to worry about the state of the world, and yeah, trying to find distraction in some, in this fantasy uh, feminist respinning of the prisoner, which essentially this is. It's you know we have a girl she's thrown into a situation that she doesn't quite fully understand nobody's exactly forthcoming with answers the only thing that's missing is the fact that everyone has names instead of numbers and we're pretty much there or oh, in a giant balloon i guess that would have been the other thing it would have been if we were going to go full prisoner there but <laughs> i digress um <laughs> we... i don't know talking about that i mean it's 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 a little bit for me i actually i don't know i don't know what what you're talking about, obviously, Prisoner. And I've you never, you seen never it, watched The know. Prisoner? No, I've oh, never seen The well. Prisoner. Never mind. Yeah, but for me, like, <laughs> I think right when the movie started, it felt a lot like, I think the whole time why I really, really was fascinated by Paradise Hills is that my connection is, I see so much of Alice in Wonderland, like the animated version, <laughs> come to life, kind of like, you know, just from the opening movement of it, when she opens up her eyes and then she's in this place with, with this tree and then, you know, the door opens and then you go out and then there's, you know, this whole like rose bushes and, you know, there's this big emphasis on different like contrast of red and white and these beautiful bright colors and, and this whole yard that looks a bit like, you know, the like a labyrinth and stuff, you know, like all these hedges and, and all that sort of thing. And it's, it's so, it's so like enchanting, I guess, the garden and all these like beautiful colors that come in. And then obviously, you know, she's, as she goes through this and she has, she's being led to see Duchess and stuff, you, or, or she's running away and whatever. Like, it's just, it's just incredible to, to just see this, this beautiful scene that they've, they've like that whole, I guess the whole, um, landscape that they're on because i mean paradise hills is is filmed on on canary islands and i mean it's a it's such a beautiful set like a beautiful setting this thing the whole setting does look really interesting and i as i said i love the whole dollhouse aesthetic that they're really sort of going for here everyone dressed in white and these almost like paper style dresses um everything's Everything is uh, 
designed from a very sort of fashion sort of angle. So if you sort of think of like a Fifth Element, I, um, yeah, I believe that I believe that director um, when because I listened to a bit of the Q and A when when she was at Fantasia, and I think she does have a fashion background, and that's why there's so much um, like so much emphasis on fashion in in the film as well, like the beautiful dresses that you know the Duchess wears, obviously, like. Everything is beautiful right from, you know, the hat she wears all the way till, you know, the flowing dress that she has and and you know, all the girls are are, are in a different like designed and you know, they're they're kind of like little little packages of prettiness, you know. Yeah, I mean she originally she her background was working in Harper's Bazaar. Uh, where she was doing promotional stills and directing fashion films, and there, she, I mean, there she was working photographer and assistant photographer for like Harper Bazaar and Neo Two, and uh, several other sort of fashion magazines before she made the move into into doing sort of like more storyboard um, sort of art and uh, and sort of like moving into more like uh, filmmaking. I mean, her original sort of uh, debut was the eleven minute short Disco Inferno. Uh, which was released in 2015. So this is actually her first full-length film. Um, two years after, two years after that, because this film was released in 2017. Uh, but it's only just now hit on the um, the been sort of distributed. Um, you can currently get it on on Netflix, certainly uh, here in the UK. So it's uh, you see, you saw it in the set, the festival circuit, though. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but certainly from what I've uh, seen her in when she's talking about it, I mean, it, she's saying that she wants to, like, create this sort of, like, science fiction and fantasy f- f- yeah. with a female audience in mind. Um, as uh, she really wanted to make it make something for, like, those uh, those girls that she saw, like herself, just uh, interested in, like, these nerdy things. That, and she mentioned already things like Alice in Wonderland. And, yeah. Um. And you can see elements of that throughout throughout the film. It just there's at the same time it just feels like something's missing from this film. It, they, on the surface it looks very pretty, but underneath it just feels a little flimsy. Um, certainly in terms of the scripting, there was it could have uh, really sort of tightened up some of the plot holes, and certainly many of the characters just felt very one dimensional. When Perhaps I've been spoiled with, like, obviously, when we look at the works of, like, Gondry, um, who creates these sort of uh, elaborate sort of worlds and and has characters with more depth. And you kind of look at this uh, film and you think, oh, I'm going to have all the, these characters are going to have all these sort of, like, interesting angles and elements to them. And unfortunately, it feels them, for a lot of the time, they just feel very sort of uh, surface detail only. But I don't know, maybe it's, I, I don't know whether it's it's a bit deliberate because of the situation that they're in. It's meant to be a very straight, like to me, the reason why I like it is because it's a very straightforward story. Mm. The depth is in, you know, the secret that they're trying to unveil and not about, you know, each of these characters. Because obviously there is a lot of characters and and like I said before, everything is is in general, we're following the eyes of Emma Roberts. We're following the eyes of Uma. So with that, you know, when you choose doing a movie through one person's uh, one person's point of view, you always have that kind of like um, lacking of everyone else because it's all kind of like what you see, like what that character sees and what you see is developing. So on one hand, it helps the story kind of have that, um, you know, 
the story kind of unveils itself slowly and it kind of keeps a lot of secrets because you don't see the other side of, you know, what's behind kind of like the curtains, right? Until the curtains lift. But at the same time, um, I think I can see where you're talking about because, you know, with something like this, you kind of seem to kind of embrace the character you're with a lot more than the other ones that you're with, right? So you have like, you know, Aquafina and Chloe, which obviously because they're roommates, they, you know, she understands these characters a little bit more because, you know, you hear them talk about their stories more and, you know, what they have to lose and why this is important to them or why this isn't as important to them. Whereas, you know, you have other characters which feel very important, like um, Amarna, played by, you know, Isa Gonzalez. And her character is supposed to feel like there's more depth. And then things, you know, kind of happen between, like, they have this really strong connection. And then that side of the story never really expands as much as it should, I think. Like, there maybe there's it's just to edit it out, or maybe there was, you know, I don't know what happened, but, you know, like... It's not as, like, that character, like, has so much, but, like, it has so much to offer to the story, but then everything it offers feels like, I'm not sure whether, like, it feels like it flows properly. I mean, obviously, spoiler alert, what did you think of the the end game for this film? Because I kind of liked it, it was felt very, perhaps a little too Stepford Wives in many ways for myself, um, but, you know, it... It manages to just about pull it, pull it off, uh, thanks to some interesting visuals and just just how it's uh, sold to us. I thought it was rather good, and then we decide to go rather bonkers with what the Duchess actually is. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, obviously with the the big sort of twist. I mean, did that play well for yourself, or? I think you know obviously because I'm 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 a fan of this movie and watching it a second time I and knowing the twist I still had a lot of fun watching it. So I mean for me I I I thought the twist is like really clever and I think the one of the main joys of watching this was watching my husband see if he could guess that big twist that was coming up. Um So I mean I I think the twist is pretty nice. I don't know which one you mean. Is it just like the first or the second, you know, obviously we have the twist before the reveal of the Duchess, right? What the Duchess actually is. Um, but I like both of them. I think that, you know, the Duchess reveal is is probably one that I think is very creative. Whereas the other one is kind of like, you kind of have an idea that something like that is happening at this point. Because watching it a second time, you kind of have this, um, you know, you catch the details that you missed when, you know, it's like the big screening at like a Fantasia premiere or something like that, right? Of course. So, you know, you're catching these little details that I actually missed the first time, whether it was in dialogue or in um, just like the sounds that's going on and whatnot too. Like the, the, the effects that are going on or little, little things that happen in the movie. Yeah. So I don't know. What about you? Did you, what did you, did you like yeah. the twist or no? Or? I mean, they, yeah. I mean, obviously the main twist of what's go- actually going on at Paradise Hills is, is, good um as i said it's if you've seen uh stepford wives then it's going to seem rather familiar to yourselves as for just turning the duchess into some weird poison ivy style hybrid thing it just felt like uh, that doesn't make sense to anything else that's happening here um so i suppose they needed uh, an ending of sorts and that, that certainly gives it one um so i don't know i think for me i don't know i like things that are really like 
outside, out the left field, right? Like, for me, it didn't need to make sense. Because the Duchess was kind of, like, this really, like, this mysterious character from the beginning. Like, obviously, you watched her character develop. And I think that's one of the best things of the Duchess's character and what makes her one of the strongest characters in the movie. And that's because, you know, as we watch in the beginning, she's she starts from being this very kind of, like, compassionate mother figure kind of thing that leads these girls yeah. to this character who who kind of, like, flips out on them and becomes very violent. And then you eventually see this other side of her, which is, is, is very manipulative. And then the end game of it turns her into just this this character that is um, is kind of, like, reflective of a few things that she talks about. And it, it's kind of like, you know, this... I just like the fantasy behind it. And I'm, like, really big on, like, fantasy that is, like, things you've never seen before. Yeah. And, you know, obviously this transformation is one that kind of, like, really is out there. And I really like that, you know, that creative element to it. And, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, maybe it doesn't really make a lot of sense in the whole spectrum of things but i think it needed that kind of creativity behind it because of just you know just like the style of the movie here and and just the uh, artistic elements of here kind of rendered something a little bit more i don't know something of a dark darker but colorful ending i guess i don't know how you how you describe it it's very weird like, i just want to know like other than this like what do you feel about you know like because obviously this is deemed as kind of like a sci-fi movie. And and, and and in certain ways, the fantasy is obviously, like I said, very, very apparent here. But what do you feel? Like the sci-fi mo part is very in the background, right? You, you can barely call this a sci-fi movie because you really can only see it in the beginning with, you know, the hovering cars. And then kind of like a metallic thing with the with their costumes and stuff like that. But... It was. It's no way. There's no way that you can really call this a sci-fi movie at all. It's yes, you have some fantasy, some fantastical elements in this film, but it's far from a sci-fi movie. Everything's far too think, grounded for that. Because it's, I feel like perhaps, perhaps where the sci-fi comes in is in that you know that that initial that big twist that we have, right? Even and that would give it a little bit more of like a sci-fi technological turn and things, right? Perhaps I they, wonder if that's where the sci-fi elements come in. Well, perhaps if they were cyborgs uh, or you know androids, maybe we'd get get that. But it can just be. It's just, as I said, it's just a, a straight up thriller, um, if a more fantastical one, because of obviously the the art direction and styling that that runs throughout the film. It's very hard to call this anything remotely science fiction because. They, as I said, these elements can be so written off into other genres. So it and the other there's the any sort of sci-fi elements that are, in it are so subtle. They just felt like a really like a an almost misplaced to call it a sci-fi movie. Um, if anything, I would call it a, a sort of a fantastical thriller. Um, Definitely, because yeah. certainly those fantasy elements join a lot stronger than the sci-fi elements do throughout this film, and certainly the thriller elements is uh very key to the film as well yeah and and you know i mean just just a final thought on this is is really the fact that i i'm starting to really like i'm a big person i really love things about like big on romance and stuff like that but i like movies that now are you know when they're focused on like one objective to stay there and not go on the romantic angle and while there was a lot of like romantic little tangents here i guess it never like 
dove into them too much. It it makes it a little disposable, but at the same time, I kind of like that focus of, you know, now that we know something's wrong, we need to escape. We need to figure out what's wrong and leave kind of thing. And I think that's what I appreciated the most out of this. Other than, you know, obviously all the fantasy and colorfulness and pastel and stuff. Certainly the, the as I said, all the, uh, the design of the uh, film is very nice to see. And it's certainly something that we've seen in a couple of other places more recently. Um, and it's something I would like to see more of. I love uh, the whole pastel goth aesthetic. I just, uh, if they can continue to find interesting ways to to carry across that dollhouse aesthetic would be really fun to see in what ways it could be further explored and I think this yeah. is the problem I sort of like I felt that I was sold on one sort of concept and it just never felt that it was playing up to the full potential that was sort of sold to me in the in the trailer here I thought that it was going to be a lot more creepy a lot more so sort of intense the world around it but mm-hmm. She settles it's so about... quickly into her environment. It's it's kind of astounding, really. Yeah, um, it's, it's a bit more. I guess it's a bit more of a. It's a, it's a bit more of a slow burn in any ways, or a quieter movie. To be honest, like, um, I mean, I don't know. I've never watched a trailer, so I don't know how it was sold as a trailer. Because when I watched it, there was no trailer. So you just kind of <laughs> walked into it blind. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think, you know, in, in any way, I, I, I still think, you know, I, I appreciated a lot of like how the movie was filmed. Um, you know, there, there's a bit of Paul W. S. Anderson in this. <laughs> it's really weird, but I felt that way because of the, you know, the long hallways and those <laughs> long shots. And there was a lot of those little alleyways that was going on. And then, and then it was just like a lot of like the, the lighting and whatnot. Like a lot of the cinematography is, is very, very done. It's done really nicely here. And and, you know, I, I'm, it's going to be really nice to, I think, you know, obviously this is just like a debut film for Alice Waddington. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to be really interested to see, like, what type of project she goes into next. To, because, obviously, I feel like cinemato- cinematography-wise, she has the skills. She might just need, um, maybe she just needs a better script to film or whatever, you know. Mm. I mean, her next film is going to be called Scarlet, and it's going to be through Netflix. Um, so, as of yet, we got no further details on what's happening uh, with that or who's going to be in it. So, it'd be interesting to see, obviously, how she follows this up, whether she chooses to do something different or whether she chooses to make something in a similar sort of vein. As I said, it uh, remains to be seen on that respect. Um, personally, I mean, I'm happy. To, I would love to see more Aquafina. I feel that uh, okay. she with this film, I mean... Even though she's more of a supporting character, she still manages to to fare extremely well, and she's quickly becoming this actress to watch. And it's kind of funny the fact that she obviously starts off as this hip hop star, um, tapping into this very sort of crude style of hip hop with uh, songs about her uh, her vag, and uh, now she's sort of like quickly managed to turn herself into a a very decent sort of actress. I mean, you mentioned already she was in Ocean's 8. Uh, she was in, more recently, in The Farewell, which received uh, a lot of critical acclaim. And it's, uh, she, it's just every time she turns up in something, it's always exciting to see. And the fact that she is so able to just, you never feel like, oh, I'm just watching Orkafina do a role, much like, which I find is the problem with Emma Roberts, is the fact that every role she plays, it seems to be just a, a 
a sort of a spin on what we've seen her play before. Whereas when we look at sort of Aquafina, you can look at her roles in like Ocean's Eight, and you look at her in uh, Crazy Rich Asians. So two very completely different roles, and then we compare it to the Farewell again, and it's uh, different all again. So it's it's uh she's still i think she still remains the she's sort of like the shining highlight of this film even though she's just supporting cast and um i think she still continues to be the to be a, a highlight and someone that we should be watching for sure i agree i think with this film i think i, I perhaps went in with too higher expectations so i was left slightly disappointed that the script didn't live up to the potential of the the imagery that I'm being sold here, which is kind of a shame, really. Um, especially because he's not exactly, you know, a first-time writer that uh, is is working here on the film. I mean... Well, I mean, it's co-written. So I guess, in some ways, the story the story is originally by... Like, the, the idea of the whole story is by the director herself. Yep. But she had gotten two people to write it for her, and obviously one of them is Nacho Vigalondo. Yep. And the other is Brian DeLue, which I don't know what that person did. So, so that person wrote, uh, Daniel isn't real, which is surprising, because Daniel isn't real is really good. <laughs> um, so anyways, uh, either way, I mean, I think that, you know, they're, I think maybe as a collab effort, or maybe just the story itself coming, or maybe the, it it was supposed to be like a lot of depth and editing took out a lot of the things. Any reason could happen for how this movie was executed in the way it was, or how the script felt like there was flaws, right? I think I just need to I need to see more from her as a director to see what have her establish herself more. I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be like super honest, and that like for me, I think that. Sometimes I'm a little bit, like, whenever I go to festival films, and it's not like, you know, Takashi Miike or something, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you happen to be, like, a little bit more, like, for me, I'm a little bit more forgiving. Mm. Because there's that surprise element. And I think that for me, what it is, is my first viewing of it was, like, zero expectations. I went to this movie seriously with just a blurb of what the movie was about and an image so I went into this completely blind. And I think that that did me wonders because I've learned like for a really long time now. And that's one of the reasons why I don't watch trailers anymore is to not have expectations is to really just either know nothing about the movie or go into the movie based on very little that it has attracted you to see if what they're trying to sell you with just one image, like with just like the poster really like kind of, uh, kind of kind of represents itself well so that way you know when things happen and there's surprises and stuff and twists like that i think the initial experience it was so good that when i watched it again i feel like i felt like it still lived up to it so like i can see how like on a second viewing like i was a little bit more you know there was a lot more details i can catch other things and whatnot but uh but you know i think watching this yeah, obviously a second time I did see a little bit more, you know, the flaws and it wasn't, you know, as gripping as the first time that I watched it. So for viewing, what would you pair with this one then? Cause it's a bit of an unusual one, isn't it? So took me a little while, but I think like for me, I would say like, obviously I already mentioned it before. There are huge links for me, like to think about it in, you know, like Alice in Wonderland. Um, like the animated version. I don't want to go into like the, <laughs> the, one. the other version. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah. So, yeah, no. So, we're talking about, you know, like, the Disney animated version. Um, I feel like a lot of those scenes almost feel like it's, replica- it's like, replicated onto the scene in many ways. And, you know, if you, th- if you think about it in, in certain ways, like, the Duchess feels a little bit like the Red Queen. Um, which is, which is, you know, like, very weird because, you know, when you think about Resident Evil... She's Alice is is plays like you know Alice in kind of like Alice yeah. in Wonderland kind of parallel, and and she's controlled by you know the the Red Queen or something. So, anyways, I thought that kind of funny to think about. Um, and then you know, obviously, I want to go a little bit of a different way because um, because of the movie and just you know like how ev- when you talked about the whole dollhouse effect, um, I actually connected it to Dollhouse the TV series. Um, which yeah. you know only has two seasons, but uh, <laughs> that's one I think, great you know, season. It's, it's... And the second one, it's all like, oh, this we're not going to get another season, so we'll give it a really weird ending. Yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, like you know, when you talk about kind of like if you want to go from like say this one to kind of like you know, let's say season one of Dollhouse, you kind of have this um this much more well implicated modernized sci-fi kind of yeah. style which maybe this sci-fi is lacking in 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 in, in you know in uh paradise hill obviously those are my my two further viewing i don't have anything else okay um yeah first one that i would recommend would be uh the fall by tarsim um this is uh very similar in many ways to to uh sort of pan's labyrinth as a uh 1940s uh, stuntman is recovering in in hospital from a stunt that went wrong, and he starts telling a a story um, to this young girl who's also uh, in the hospital suffering from a broken arm, and uh, basically sets all these uh, tasks and things to gather around the hospital. As unaware that she uh, starts carrying out for him, unaware that he's actually trying to commit suicide, but at the same time crafting this fantastical world that the film constantly switches back and forth between. Uh, it's a film shot without a single drop of CGI in it, and it looks absolutely stunning. And uh, unsurprisingly, it's from the same director who gave us the cell. Um, the other film that I want to throw out there would be Ready or Not, uh, which is a more recent one it's um mm-hmm. in a young bride or young bride finds that her family her new family that she's married into have a very unique tradition as she has to survive being hunted by them um i thought this is again this is a film that was uh was a lot of fun and i did originally think that it was um old harley quinn herself who was uh the lead role but it actually turned out not to be <laughs> yeah well this is what you know ready or not i haven't seen yet but um it wasn't the same season as, as the same year that uh paradise hills was uh was premiered <laughs> at oh, fantasia really? um yeah but this is with samara yeah same year last last summer i think um yeah so i mean this is with samara weaving and you know the, obviously ready or not is high on my list because samara weaving has been just cranking up some amazing movies you know obviously starting with you know mayhem and then going into um the babysitter yeah. uh yeah so i mean ready or not is is one that you know i really really want to check out cool so um yeah those would be my personal uh picks picks there for 
for things to watch with this. So it's, it's, a, it's a unique film, and I think it's certainly a and the pastel goth genre is certainly something that'd be fun to see other directors experiment with and see what else it uh, can be done with it. Certainly, I think there's uh, certainly a lot of interesting ideas that could be explored throughout this particular style. So. I look forward to uh, seeing, seeing what else uh, does come of it. So, um, Well, that brings us to the end of another season. Thank you, as always, for listening. And we hope you've enjoyed these After Hours episodes um, as much as we've obviously enjoyed uh, bringing the our season that we've just uh, obviously had. Uh, we're looking back at the filmography of Ang Lee. But as every season comes to a close, it is, of course, time to look forward to the season which lies ahead. So, Kim, where are we going to be going for season five? Oh, season five. Wow. <laughs> so fast. Um, yeah. No, season five, we're going with, you know, uh, a director that is also fairly well known. Um, but we're also changing kind of, you know, the um, the genre of movies, I guess. Um, and we're going with David Fincher. And obviously we're kicking off with Alien 3. The chef's kiss of the Alien franchise. A perfect film throughout. Or perhaps not. We'll certainly find out on uh, the first episode of our next season. But uh, David Fincher, the former music video director and director also of uh, commercials, who led uh, the charge for these uh, Wonder Kid directors moving into feature films in a class that also featured Spike Jones, Michelle Gondry, and... Uh, had, and the, sort of paid the way for the likes of Mark Romanek to also experiment on larger canvases. Um, here, we uh, have a director who's going to be very interesting to look at, and I think certainly going to be one of our more popular choices uh, when we come to look at the directors uh, we've we've looked at previously. I think he's certainly going to be one of the popular ones uh, again, and certainly he has a wide variety in his of films that he's made over his career um so it's going to be certainly an interesting one to dive dive into those look a bit deeper and uh also perhaps check out some of the uh the projects which came before his movie career so so that is uh mm-hmm. all to come um if you haven't done already though please do like and uh hit the like and subscribe button and you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're also on Instagram. And uh, you can also uh, check out our full blog, which is at moviesintpodcast.wordpress.com, which has a complete archive of episodes, not only the After Hours and the Shark Week episodes, but all four seasons uh, that we've done as well. So uh, you can go back in and uh, check that out there. Uh, but thank you so much for listening. And thank you to my co-host, Kim. And uh, we'll be back next time, kicking off season five as we uh, start a trek for the dark and wonderful world of David Fincher. Until then, good night.